We are the sacred collective. All are respected. All are heard. All are welcomed. Join us. Hello, everyone. This is Brian Odland. With me today is my best mate, my brother from a different mother, the one and only, the esteemed, the renowned Dr. Well, actually, Reverend Dr. Scotty Williams. Hey, Reverend Dr. Odlin, how you doing? I'm Ryan good. J. Odlin, how are you, bro? I'm good. I'm <laughs> technically not a reverend to uh, some in ordination circles. Ha ha ha, we can get into that later. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is going to be coming out on the Sacred Collective podcast, our, our feed. However, um, we've teased this a little bit on our social medias. I know I have, and I think Scotty has too. Um, but this is going to be our first um, episode. This is going to be a teaser because Scotty and I have the wonderful job this summer of trying to come up with our, our new podcast that we're debuting called The Happy Hour Podcast. And um, we talked about it a little bit on our Instagrams and social medias, as I just said. Um, but it's probably going to be coming out sometime, I would say, late, probably now, late summer, early fall. Um, cause a little bit of a background about Scotty and myself and Scotty, you can, uh, I'll turn it over to you for a second just to kind of give a brief background of yourself. But, um, Scotty and I both have our doctorates. We met at seminary at Bethel. We fast became good friends. Um, we're in each other's weddings. I'm the godfather to your son, which is amazing. Um, so we go way back. You're an ordained minister. Um, you have a doctorate, um, and it's kind of what's kind of cool and what's kind of fun is you and I both have a extreme amount of love for God, um, the church, maybe you more for the church than me, but we'll get into that in our conversation. But um, yeah, maybe just tell our listeners who haven't, I mean, you've been on several times before, but for those who maybe are just starting to listen, um, new listeners, just maybe briefly just tell who you are. And for all those good people out there. Okay, so I'll try to say what you didn't say. Um, yeah, so my name is Scotty Williams, and I am, yeah, yeah. Brian is my best bud. Um, yeah, and we met in seminary, and you know, classmates, good friends, um, and yeah, he's like a brother to me. Yeah, brother from a different mother. Um, I'm originally from the state of Louisiana. Moved to Minnesota as a teenager, um, lived in Brooklyn Park, went to high school out there, you know, then did my um, university, college, seminary, and then ended up meeting a Swiss girl and moving to Switzerland. And so that's where I'm at. And Your Swiss miss. Yes, my Swiss miss. (laughs) Yeah, so. Not hot hot cocoa. It's a real woman. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so that's where I am um, now in Switzerland. Um, I've been here about 11 years now, and I pastor in the National Church, the Swiss Reformed Church, and I've spent the last yeah, six years as a church planter in Canton, St. Gallen, um, and started a community to English speakers called All Souls Protestant Church. And as Brian said, um, I you know, love Jesus, you know, um, as as he does, and I also love the church, even though she frustrates the heck out of me, <laughs> time and time again. Um, I love the church. 
um, like Brian, and um, that's why, you know, that's part of why we're we're doing this. Um, so yeah, you know, thank you, Brian, for just this opportunity to talk, and looking forward to what comes out of our conversation today. Oh. Yeah, um, and just to kind of let people know, I guess in a nutshell of what, like I said, this is coming out in the Sacred Collective feed is more of like a teaser episode. Um, of what the happy hour podcast is going to be. So I'm going to be doing two podcasts. Ooh, hot, hot take. Uh, not, not including my day to day nine to five job and being a pastor of a pub church, you know, whatever. I just need more and being a husband and a father, you know, all that stuff. You, you get that. Um, but I think, um, what we kind of want to talk about is we're both seminary trained. We're both, um, you know, we're involved in the church in some some sort of way or or other, and I think you and I over conversations. We even though we're separated by seven time zones, and you know we're halfway across the world from each other. I think you and I. I mean, we talk so much. We maybe talk once or twice a week on the phone, and our conversations are not short. <laughs> Just like the other day. Just like the other day, our conversation was like two and a half hours. So. Yeah. When we really say we are best friends and best mates, whatever you want to say it, we truly are. Um, but I think you and I have both talked about, you know, like deconstruction is that, I'm not going to lie, it's it's like a catch word. It's, it's this word that's going around. It's like, oh, I'm in deconstruction. I'm in deconstruction. And I always kind of joke with people like, I started deconstructing before deconstructing was cool, before, you know, most people did. But I also get to a point at least for me, is you deconstruct to the point where there's nothing left. And if that means you deconstruct where you become an atheist, I'm absolutely fine with that. I'm totally okay if someone deconstructs and then they realize, I don't need God, I don't need Jesus in my life, whatever. I'm not a Christian who's like, oh, you need to get converted, or you need to get reconverted, or you need to do this, this, and this. But I know for myself personally, I need to be an individual who for myself is I've deconstructed to the point where now I want to reconstruct. I, mm-hmm. I, I want to reconstruct something in my life. I want to reconstruct these negative shitty ideas and, and ideologies that were put into me by church, by pastors, by mentors that I don't believe in. And maybe even sometimes my parents instilled into me things that I, you know, vehemently disagree with. And I think what's so popular, especially in the evangelical or deconstruction movement, is, you know, when people are like, oh, I've deconstructed or now I'm a mythical, you know, mystical, Buddhist, hippie, agnostic, <laughs> ag- agnostic, whatever. And if that's the label you want, that's fine. And I think it's so funny is so many, especially human beings were like, don't label me, don't label me, but yet we always want to be labeled. You know, we, yeah. we're, we're just, uh, we're individuals who constantly want to be labeled. And I mean, some labels work like husband, wife, son, daughter, employee, employer, uh, friend, enemy, you know, things like that. So it's like we use labels every day in our lives because they work. But when people are like, oh, don't label me in my faith or whatever, it's like, but we want to be, we want to say something to someone. We want to say, I'm this, I'm this. And I've had conversations where I confuse people because I'm like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm agnostic in a lot of ways. And they're like, well, I'm confused because how do you believe in Jesus 
and then are agnostic. And I said, well, I believe in the teachings and the message of Jesus. And I personally believe that Jesus died and resurrected. I said, I'm agnostic because these are all uh, like all these tenets and dogmas and theologies are unknowable, unprovable, and I don't need to waste my time. I'm not an apologist, even though that's why I went to school for is to be an apologist. So my master's degree is I'm looking at my, my degree on my wall in my office here where I'm recording and I look at it and I'm like, that's a degree that I don't use anymore because I, the, the knowledge I have is great, but at the same time, it's it's something where I, I don't want to convert anybody to like my side of believing. But all that in a nutshell is we all say we don't want labels, but we we as human beings love labels. And, yeah. and I'm at the point in my life where I'm fine with the label that I have. It makes sense to me. But I'm also not the kind of person that's like, and I've had issues with the church, and we, we can get into that later when we talk about this question we're going to talk about. But my frustration is, is how so many people have um, one bad experience, two bad experiences, maybe a lifelong of bad experiences in the church or with God, and then they say all church, all Christianity, all the people involved with it are are just you know it's dumb, it's you know null and void. And I take all their issues and their traumas and their hurts. To heart, I take it to you know meaningful for them. But for me personally, I can't just. I that doesn't work for me. Yeah, you know, it, it also doesn't work for me. Like if since you're on the subject of labels, I would label myself, and my wife actually helped me to discover this label. She said I'm more of a church upcycler. Um, you know, in the sense that. You know, I want to take things that that have been thrown in the trash by the church and repurpose them, you know, reuse them. So I'm an upcycler in that sense. And I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty much a classical church guy, a classic high church. Well, not exactly high church, not low church, but you know, more of a classical church guy. But um, a lot of my work or the, the, the emphasis that I like, like to um, well, make is this, um, that, I, like I said, I see value in the things that the church has thrown away. Mm-hmm. And, I want, and, and I see that there's something wrong with the way that we do church today, especially with the modern Western church. And the things that the church throws away, I believe, are kind of a prophetic witness that speaks against some of the things that we're doing. They challenge us. And so as an upcycler, I take those things that the modern church has thrown away and bring them back and repurpose them and use them in such a way to challenge our sort of defunct modern Christianity, but then at the same time bring in those people who are just as turned off uh, by the way the church has gone, the direction it's gone, as I am. So I'm repurposing old things, you know, in in new ways to challenge the modern church, but also to show people the value of church and try to bring people back in. 
Yeah. Um, and I, and we're I'm going to say the question that we're going to talk about on this this inaugural um, happy hour podcast, and we're going to try to keep it to an hour. But I feel like we're both seminary trained. We're both pastors, and and I mean that is your day job. This is I I would say I moonlight as a pastor part time, <laughs> but um, we both can talk a lot and that's not a negative thing it could be maybe for a podcast <laughs> but um but i think for myself when it looks like at the church is i tell people i'm more focused at having honest intimate conversations with people and whether that whether those conversations you know i tell i guess how sacred collective was founded and and even when i talk to people with within revolution or people who are or excited about revolution is I'm not here to convert you to Christianity. I'm not here to force you to read your Bible. I'm not here to force you to, you know, do all these dogmatic gymnastics or to believe the right theology. I'm here to show you the teachings of Jesus in the way that I think it was meant to be shown. And you do with that what you want. And that's, I'm a firm, that's, that's where I'm at in my faith is Jesus has made an impact and his teachings have made an impact on me. And there's a reason why these teachings 2,000 years ago by a dark-skinned rabbi in Israel has transcended time because I think his teachings were so awesome and subversive and, you know, monumental. But so often I think the church has hijacked that ideology and that thinking and not enough people are standing up to um, talk about it. So, that leads us into our question. And for the listeners, when this comes out, um, we tried to record this a couple days ago, and, you know, the great thing with tech stuff, I'll say this, (laughs) and Caleb, when he edits this, who's our producer, um, he'll probably get a kick out of it when he listens to this, is uh, I was recording, and we were halfway through our conversation, and my... uh, file my sim card was full which i could have just probably put it on pause and then deleted the card but then we would have had to start the conversation over so got a new sim card got 32 gigs we're definitely not going to fill it so now this is part you know second attempt to do this so and scotty's a great friend so he's worked with me and our schedules so here we go but the question we're going to talk about is a question or is a is a saying and a phrase that's attributed to an, um, I don't know if you would call this person an early church father, but early on within the Christianity, I don't know, scope, um, which was by St. Augustine, who I would say was a controversial figure within Christianity, said a lot of, I think, boneheaded, stupid things, but also said some good things. Sounds like a good church early father. Um, but there's this phrase that's, that he's attributed to saying. Some people say he said it. Some people are like, we don't know for sure. So it's out there in this orbit of unknowing who said it, but it is attributed to him. And the saying is, the church is a whore, but she's still my mother. Mm. And I'm going to turn it over to Scotty first, because that's what I did when we recorded the first time. But I want to have you give your opinion, and then we kind of can have this back and forth conversation of of that phrase. So that phrase that 
is attributed to St. Augustine is, the church is a whore, but she's still my mother. Okay, so when Augustine said this, um, you know, the root of, of this saying, it, it you know, or I, I say Augustine with quotation marks because it's, you know, disputed. But when this, you know, the root of this saying, it's based off of the words of Jesus when he talked about, you know, what the church was going to be like after he was gone. See, what attracts me to Jesus compared to other religious leaders or religious founders of different, you know, other religions is that Jesus was very realistic about what was going to happen to his movement. He was realistic about people. You know, as you said last time, he calls us sheep for a reason. Sheep are some of the dumbest animals out there. And you know, and, and you know, they, they follow, they can be cute, but they can also be very frustrating. And Jesus, you know, called his, called his followers sheep for a reason, not just because, you know, we go after him and he's the good shepherd, but because people do stupid things. Jesus was very honest about human nature, about people. And he said, you know, when I'm gone, he says, you know, this movement, you know, it's, it's, it's going to go through (laughs) some, some, some crazy stuff. Bad people are going to come in. They're going to take it off. He talked off the rails in a different direction that I didn't intend. Um, And he, he talks about this a lot when he mentions false messiahs coming along. And so, and, and also in his parables about the wheat and the weeds or the parable of the net where there's fish and then there's, you know, all kinds of crazy creatures in the net. Um, he says the church is going to be this mixed bag of righteous and unrighteous people. And so, and so, you know, Jesus was very honest about the nature of the church. And when Augustine makes this statement later, he's, you know, basing it off of what Jesus said you know, it, but using different language, he's saying, yes, the church is this mother, this place where you're, where you can, where, that's nurturing, that, that, that where you grow in the faith, that this place where you're cared for and you experience some of the deepest love and some of the deepest grace. But it's also a whore in the sense that you will, ex- uh, in the church, you will experience the greatest corruption, the greatest heartbreak. You'll experience um, just really nasty things that make you sometimes forget the love and the grace and also that will drive you away from faith and will make you forget Jesus even. And so Augustine, when he says this, he's being honest about the nature of the church. He's, you know, because in his time, there were people criticizing the church and saying you know, many of the things that we say today, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, the problems we see today existed thousands of years ago. And there were people saying to Augustine, how can you be a part of this thing that, you know, says that it's about love and about grace and all of this, but there's corruption, there's lies, there's deceit. And then Augustine says, you're right. You know, yes, the church is a whore in this sense. The church is full of weeds, as Jesus would say, but it's still my mother. 
it's still a place where I'm nurtured, where I'm cared for, where, where I've experienced deep love and growth and, and grace. And so this, this um, saying by Augustine is about the nature of the church, you know, and it's echoing what Jesus said. So that's my basic explanation for it. Yeah, and I would... I'm trying to formulate this to make sense because it makes sense in my head, but sometimes it always doesn't come out <laughs> the way that I want it to be. Um, I have a... Honestly, I have a love-hate relationship with the church, and you know me probably... After my wife, you probably know me the most intimately when it comes to talk to things about faith and church and things like that. Um, and I know that the church is not supposed to be the building. I know it's not supposed to be the dogma, the the teachings from the pastors and all that stuff, but that the church is people. Church is the people. Um, when you look at the early church, people didn't meet in temples they didn't meet in these ornate mega churches that you've seen littered all across you know the world but it was meeting in people's homes it was meeting well originally they did meet in the temple oh yeah then right. they got kicked out yeah right but <laughs> i would say during the times of jesus and even earlier on maybe it, you know especially in the new testament when you see like paul and his missionary journeys and and others you see them meeting in people's homes you see them meeting on you know in in you know, by the by the lake, or you know, wherever you know, out on out in the field, or wherever. But now we look at it, especially in the American context, is we see it like you go to First Baptist, or you go to St. John's Catholic, or or you do whatever. And I'm this isn't me bashing, you know, people wanting to meet in a church building, you know, people wanting to have a building that's their own, but. So often, I think in America, we look at the church as this place I have to get dressed on my Sunday best. Um, we have to get in our car or take the train or whatever, and, and we get to this meeting place. We get to this church, and then there's this, these lists of rituals. Then there's these lists of songs, and then you hear the pastor talk, and then you hear, you know, then you have, you know, maybe some prayers in there or liturgy. And then you end it, and then you leave. And, you know, yes, maybe some people reflect on this stuff throughout the day or throughout the week. But then church, for for me, and I can say this personally, for being someone who's almost been ordained twice in, in two different denominations, I one of my big issue with the church is the church, to a lot of people, has been a thing of control has a been, been a thing of coercion, has been a thing of, unless you believe the way we believe, unless you come into the fold the way we want you to be, then you're not part of this group. So, and I've told you at length, and some people who listen are part of this denomination, but I left the ordination track in the United Church of Christ, super liberal, progressive denomination here in America, I have a lot of great friends and still colleagues within that denomination. So what I'm trying to say is not towards them, but my issue that I had and why I didn't sign on the dotted line is there were several people in higher up positions in the state level here in Minnesota that questioned um, my passion, questioned my education, 
questioned my desire, questioned my reasoning, asked me stupid-ass questions like, well, what is a pastor? What does a pastor do? What, what is church to you? And I would say these answers, and I would say the answers in a biblical way, but then I would also say them in a way that really meant something to me. And it got to the point where I realized at the end and, and when I left that it wasn't about nurturing me in, in, in the faith or in that tradition, but it was about control. And it was about, oh, you don't line up theologically maybe 100% the way we do, or you you don't, you're going to maybe be this wild card in our faith and or in our way we view faith, and so we're not okay with signing on the dotted line. And I know, Scott, that I'm not the only person that has dealt with this, but to me, I look at the church and realize, but the church isn't the sum of all these people here. The church isn't the United Church of Christ. The church isn't the Catholic church. The church just isn't the Baptist church down the road. But maybe help make sense to me and others of why church is an important thing in someone's life or important in someone's life who says that they're a Christian. I think, you know, I'll put it this way, you know, I'll start on, on just a different, a different point. Um, I think, you know, where the hurt, you know, or the issue begins is that the things that we attribute to church, the buildings, the rituals, the confessions and different theologies, we forget that these things are expressions of church. They're, they're not church. They're, they're expressions, you know, of this thing called church, of this community. And, 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 and so I think, you know, where the problem begins is, is that we forget that and we turn these expressions into dogmas. And we say, if, if you want to be in this thing called church, you know, or, or if, you know, or be connected, then you must do this and you must do this and you must do this and you must do this. But, but these are expressions of church. And what church, church really is, is it's a community that, that is bound together by one thing, and that is Jesus Christ. You know, we're bound together by him, and we follow him. And, and I think the importance of church is that it's good, you know, it's important in the sense that I think we, you know, since it's a community, we as human beings need community. And we need to be in community with like-minded people about things that we value. So I go to church, you know, I mean, I'm a minister, of course, it's my job, but, but I'm, but, but, you know, the reason that I'm in church and I think, you know, so many others is because you know, we, we, are, we want to be in community, in communion with people who value Jesus as much as we do, you know, uh, um, but a lot of times it, um, with the dogmatic stuff, you know, the problems that we see the whole control is, is that people get away from just being with like-minded folk when it comes to Jesus, and it becomes like-minded folk with certain expressions. 
you know, and and I had the same experience with, with you. You know, I was in one ordination track with a Baptist denomination. And, you know, and I told them the same, you know, they would ask, what what is church to you? And I'd say, well, church is, you know, like I said, being in community with people who value Jesus just like I do. And they might have different perspectives on certain aspects of Jesus. They might vote differently. They might, you know, see celebrating communion and other things differently. They might even view baptism differently. But at the end of the day, it's 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 about Jesus. You know, he he created the church. He, he called us together, you know, and that wasn't a good enough answer because it had to be, you know, for them. They were like, no, but it's these expressions, you know, baptism by immersion, um, you know, was 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 their big point. And, and then another point was um, voting a certain way, voting Republican, and then also a certain view of Israel at that point, um, being pro-Israel with everything they do. And I'm like, okay, it's okay for, you know, though I disagree with, with aspects of these things, I'm like, it's okay if someone holds that, but, but, but I'm in this for Jesus. I'm in this because I value Jesus. That's why I went to, to Bible college. That's why I went to seminary. That's why I'm pursuing this call. He called me, you know, to this work. And, you know, and I found like you that it just wasn't good enough. And, and, and that made me go to it, you know, look for another, um, you know, denomination, another fellowship. And I found it, the Presbyterian church. And when I gave them that answer, you know, thanks be to God, they accepted it. But, but, but yeah. Um, so to, to answer your question, to summarize all of it, you know, church, why it's important is because we want to be with people who value, you know, we value something. We want community with people who value that same thing. And it's not just with religion, it's with music. I love Neo Soul. So I go to Neo Soul concerts, you know, um, you know, and I go to be around people that value that genre of music or with sports, you know, you like the Vikings. I like the Vikings. And we have a big stadium with the Yaller horn and we all go there despite our, you know, we, one person might like one player more than the other, you know, somebody might like the coach, the current coach and others might hate the current coach, but we go there because we value the Vikings and we want to be around like-minded people that value the Vikings. And sure. so that's what I say, you know, church, church, church is it, 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 why it's important to people, why it matters. Yeah. Now, so, and I agree and I, and I track with you on that. Now, a lot of people within certain denominational streams, um, so maybe people who are ordained ministers in a Baptist church or in a UCC church or in a Methodist church, regardless of denomination, I'm just throwing those out for, you know, I guess, place points. But so for like me, I'm not an ordained minister. Um, I obviously went through the schooling. I have a bachelor's in pastoral ministry and a doctorate in ministry. So I think, in my opinion, that makes me a pastor, even though I don't have this governing body saying yes or no. Uh, 
but I teach, I preach. Um, I think I bring Jesus in culturally sensitive ways to people. Um, maybe make people to push their understanding of God or Jesus in different ways. And I meet in a bar, in a, in a bowling alley. I meet at Bryant Lake Bowl, which anybody who listens to this, look Bryant Lake Bowl up on Instagram, Facebook, you know, their regular, regular website. Um, they're a great place. I know, I probably know what your answer is, but what would you say to people listening or who are maybe more conservative that are like, that get leery or shy of people like myself who are like, yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing church, but I'm not doing church in an ordination. Like I'm not ordained or I'm not licensed, but I'm still, um, preaching, preaching the Bible. I'm still preaching the gospel. What would you say to a person who maybe would be more, um, apt to go to, a church or a ministry like mine than maybe going to a church like yours? What I would say is, is it goes back to, again, expressions and what, what you value. So church, you know, is, you know, like, like the, the, you know, the big tent term, you know, it's, it's for people who value Jesus and want to be in community with like-minded people that value him. But then there are different expressions of, 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 of our valuing Jesus. And those expressions, yeah, and this is what I think things like denominations and fellowships are for. And you want to be, and within that, we want to be with like-minded people who value the same expressions that we do. So, for example, you know, like in my case, I like my church you know, to be a little higher, you know, and when I say higher, not in value, but a little more structured, a little more liturgical, a little more feel with ancient traditions and creeds and confessions and, you know, service, you know, goes for an hour and and there's sacraments and, you know, and, and all of that. You know, I've, you know, I value those expressions. And so I like being, you know, with people on a regular basis who value those same expressions as well. And so we, you know, we gather together for that in a Presbyterian style church. But there are people, you know, like yourself, Brian, you know, who they value the expression of being in a bar and of having a, and church being a conversation. Sacraments, yes, it's nice, but, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, settings where the pastor isn't wearing a robe and where you're not following the calendar and the lectionary, you know, and and I would say, and so, you know, in your case, you know, you are gathering with like-minded people that value that expression. And so, so that's what I'd say. I'd say, but the problem comes when we start putting those expressions that we value above Jesus and we stop welcome and we, and we, we close the door to people who don't value it in the same way. And, and, and when we start putting down and when we start saying my expression that I value is better than your expression because it's not. Now I do think I will say this, that there are some things that people would consider church 
that I would say are out of the realm of reason. You know, you might disagree with this, but for example, there was a group at one point in church history called the Adamites. And their idea was that we should go back to the Garden of Eden. So when they got together and had church, they were basically running around naked. You know, <laughs> you know. So they now, were they were nudist Christians, huh? Pretty much, you know. I mean, they were nudist, you know, and they would get together naked and they would, you know, dance around. And for me, I'm like, uh, okay, you know, um, that, that's a little outside of, you know, I, I wouldn't consider that church personally. Um, but, you know, but yeah, going back to the, to, to the main point, it's like, I think, you know, issues come up, you, you know, like, like everyone has the right to value certain expressions and to gather with like-minded people. But we, what I don't think we have the right to do is to put down, is to devalue the um, other expressions that aren't like ours, you know? And also, I, 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 I don't think that we have the right to say to close the door to people who don't see things the way that we do. You know, just like, you know, a guy should be able to, or, or a gal or a person should be able to walk in off of the street, you know, to, to, to revolution where you pastor they should also be a, 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 and be welcomed. They should also be able to do the same at All Souls, where I pastor, where things are a little more traditional. So, yeah, right. And and I and I, and I agree with that um, with your assessment. And thank you for saying nice things about revolution. Um, I think I look forward I, to with you this summer. Huh? What did you say? I look forward to worshiping with you this summer. I might call upon you to uh, maybe lead the sermon that Sunday. I'm just saying. Just saying. Okay. You can put that on your resume that you preached in a bar. That's always cool. Give you a day off. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. My wife would really appreciate that. <laughs> um, and what I, I want to hit on what you said in the last part, which to me is really impactful, is... We should not, and this goes two ways, and I'll, I'll make the connection, is we should not devalue different forms of expression if that's how the person gets it. So right now, like I said at the on the onset of this, is there's the big move within the evangelical movement, and it's and I and I and I'm one of them, and. I will say that evangelicalism helped me to a certain time in my faith. Maybe it helped me, you know, when you're a young child, just look back when you're a young child, we both have young kids. You can't give them the, the meat and the, the weightiness of life. And you can't tell them these weighty things about life at a young age because they're not going to understand it where I think that's more high church liturgical, there's these heavy weightier things. And I look and I'm using the metaphors in the evangelical world, it gives you that, so to say, uh, kind of in a motherly way, that breast milk. The evangelical church kind of gives you this breast milk of you need the, you need the, the nurturing um, vitamins and minerals in your mother's breast milk. And, but then you get to a point when you're like, I don't need this breast milk anymore. I'm, I'm old enough um, 
my body and my my uh, digestion can handle sustenance and food and drink on its own. And for me, speaking just for myself, that's what the evangelical understanding of God was like. That was like my mother's milk. That was something that it helped me at a base level when I was younger. Um, but now I got to a point intellectually, I got to a point logically, philosophically and theologically where the evangelical world and their theology and their dogmas, I'm like, I need more. I need more. I need more sustenance. I need more, uh, I don't know, meat to, to, to my diet, un- understanding God and the Bible and scripture. However, there are a lot of people, a lot of my own family members who they still need that. They're still in that stage. They're 40, 50, 60 years old. They still need that using that metaphor, that, that breast milk. They, they still need that basic understanding of, of faith and Jesus and Christianity. Like they, they, they can't go past that. So I do agree with you in, in the instance of all these expressions. So if I want someone to appreciate what I do at revolution, I also have to appreciate what the Baptist pastor does. I have to appreciate what um, the Catholic minister says. I might not agree with their theology. I might not agree with, you know, a lot of what they're doing. But, and I've had conversations with people is, I might not agree with Joe Shamo at First Baptist or First Assemblies of God and wherever. I'm just making these church names up. But if people are getting fruit there's probably a joe schmo out there uh, probably <laughs> if, if and there's probably a first assembly somewhere too it's a very common name. <laughs> I, that's one thing that's another whole conversation churches need to come up with better names is ridiculous um but if those people are getting some sort of sustenance if those people are getting some sort of edifiable faith in their life i can't throw that out i can't throw that out with that because if I want someone to respect me doing revolution, having a beer, saying fuck or shit or damn from the pulpit, I st- whether they give me respect or not, I still need to give them respect and say, these people who are coming to your church are coming to your church for whatever reason. They want the community. They want the teaching. They want the mentorship. They want the guidance. But then they need to look at me and say, the people who listen on the podcast, the people who tune in live, the people who are there, you know, in person in the congregation, they're getting sustenance, they're getting bread, they're getting food. And so I think, but, and, and I agree. So, and I think we're tracking on the same way. However, I think, and especially in the American context in which we're, you know, I mean, you're in Switzerland, but you're from America. But I think so often we in this, whether it's political climate, whether it's a church climate, you don't see that. You don't see that. You you see certain streams of Christianity being like, this is what we're going to do. This is how Jesus is. This is how you understand Jesus. You're in this group. Then you have more of the progressive and liberal. And you're like, this is how we do Christianity. This is how we view Jesus. You need to be in our group or whatever. And then you have people like me who are like, hmm. We have issues with all of that. Um, let's do a pub church. Let's do podcast church. Let's do an online church. Let's do, you know, whatever. And we're all friends with each other who are doing these. 
then you look at you know these mainline churches or evangelical churches and then they're bickering with each other then they both team up with each other and then bicker against us because we're not ordained and we're not this and we're not that and so i agree with what you're saying is we need to value these expressions and i really like that quote that you said like we need to value these expressions so I know you value it, and I'm sure other some people who are listening might value it, but I think the church universal, so the church worldwide, regardless of denominations, most don't value all of the expressions. They value their expression because exactly. they, think their, they think their expression, not to use this as a pun, but trumps mm-hmm. every other ones. And that is why I think our understanding of church and church hurt is so prevalent is because somebody will be like, well, I'm a UCC or I'm, uh, I'm Baptist. And so my view of God is right. Everyone else's view is wrong. And if you don't align with us, then your view of Jesus is wrong. Da, 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 da. And then we find ourselves in this hot shit mess that we're in where so many people are just suspect of church in the first place. Yeah. You know, um, you know, it's similar in Europe, actually, in some ways, because like in Switzerland, we have a state church, which I work in, but we actually have three state churches. So we have the Reformed Church, because the Reformed Church was actually born here, so it's the Protestant Reformed Church. Then you have the Roman Catholic Church, and then we have the Old Catholics. And, and then outside of that, we have what's called free churches everybody else. And what I noticed, you know, in in Switzerland, in our setting is that, you know, when I go to the state churches, there's, you know, as one who values, you know, all expressions of church, except for nudist church, um, (laughs) who values all expressions of church. um, You know, like I struggle here because like I'll be among the reformed people and I'll hear them bashing the free church folks. But what they don't, and I'm like, why are we putting down the free church people when, you, and they'll say, well, because they're on the streets and they're, you know, doing evangelism. And I'll say, yes, but they're not just on the streets telling people to get saved. I've seen, you know, a street preacher out there and they will and this is the value of the evangelical tradition, you know, uh, um, is I've seen the evangelical street preacher and they will point out to a person and say, hey, you come over here. And I've seen this happen time and time again. And they'll call a random person and that random person will come over. And the question will start with, well, if you know, if you die today, do you know where you go? Do you know who Jesus is? But then all of a sudden that person opens up to them and begins to say, I'm going through this crisis and I will watch that evangelical right leaning, you know, person that I would disagree with lay hands on this random person they don't know and pray for them. And mind you, the reformed church is the progressive, more liberal church. And, you know, and, and, and we're open to all, but I don't see us out in the streets doing that like the evangelical brothers and sisters are doing. And and, and so, you know, and so I point out that that we have a similar problem. We will say, you know, like it exists here in Europe as well, 
we value our expressions um, more than we, you know, and we devalue other people's expressions. And then what ends up happening is that it becomes what Sean Moore, a classmate of ours, said, uh, uh, a classmate of ours from seminary, it becomes, it's no longer Christianity at that point, it's churchianity. It's all about our little expressions. And Jesus, you know, yeah, you know, Jesus becomes a side piece rather than the main thing. And the main thing becomes, you know, okay, well, I the main thing becomes I gather in that big building on Sunday morning. That's a state church building. And my pastor's in a robe and preaching bands. And we sing from the Red Reformed Songbook. And, and there we go. And then for the other group, the free church group, because I've seen, you know, the same problem, I've invited people from free churches to worship with us and they've, you know, or to take part in an event. Like there was one time um, I used to hang out with this one free church pastor. Um, and there was one time where I invited this um, this pastor to be a part of a because because we used to give Thanksgiving or hold Thanksgiving dinner um, for the community. So I invited um, his church to partner with ours. And his response was, well, I think it would be too liturgical for our people. And I said, I'm not inviting you to service, you know, per se. We're not talking about a service. We're talking about us cooking turkeys together, you know. And, and I'm like, How, what does this have to do with liturgy? But he was so about his expression of church that we could never just do basic acts of service together. And, and I'm like, you know, where, where is Jesus in this man? You know, and so, so, so it, 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 it happens here. It, it's, it, it's churchianity rather than true Christianity. Yeah. Rant over. <laughs> no, that was good. And I will say this is happy hour, wherever you're listening, whether that's eight in the morning, eight at night, two in the morning. Scotty, you told me, and we need to make sure that we do this because every podcast has a shtick. Um, whether people think they have a shtick or not, they do. So, Happy Hour Podcast is um, we have to drink. So, I'm drinking. What did you drink earlier? You're not drinking. It's a seven hour difference, so it's pretty late where you're at. Yeah, it's but what, did, what did you have? I had a beer from Greece called Mythos. Okay. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, so, so because I, we had Greek food for dinner. Well, so there you go. I had mythos. <laughs> We're having a, a Magritha, uh, I don't even know how to say it, Magritha pizza, margarita pizza, whatever. Oh, I'm, I'm, two be- nice. I'm two beers in, so take it as what it is. There's a local brewery, and then we'll get back to our um, our riveting conversation. I think it's riveting, whether people mm-hmm. think so or not. There's a local brewery here in Minneapolis, and people need to realize wherever they're listening, whether they're from Minnesota, Ohio, California, Switzerland, uh, wherever who listens, there's people think that, and this is, and you can maybe attest to this. Maybe this is the beer talking. I don't know, but it's our podcast, so who cares, right? Yeah, we have we have no patrons right now, and we have no. Um, sponsors maybe maybe after this we'll get a sponsor i don't know but the twin cities metro area and you've you're well you're not from here but you've lived here many years 
Uh, people think that the Twin Cities is not that big, but there's over 3 million people that live in the Twin That's Cities you. metro area. And shameless plug, we have about 5 million people that live in Minnesota, and over 3.2 million people live in the Twin Cities. So that just shows you how big the Twin Cities is. And in the Twin Cities metro area, there's probably over 100 breweries. That's a lot. That's a lot of breweries. That's a lot of beer. That's a lot of cider. That's a lot of different kinds of beers. Oh, yeah. I have found a brewery, and one of my old co-workers turned me on to this brewery, but it's this brewery called Falling Knife. Falling Knife. Just think of someone dropping a knife, and it's falling. It's in North Minneapolis, this neighborhood, and their beers are just incredible. Um, I like, because a lot of a lot of breweries, they'll, they'll, they might be like, oh, well, we make more IPAs or hoppy beer. Some breweries might make um, just lagers or lighter ales, you know, whatever. This, this brewery makes anything and everything. They make whatever they're passionate about and what they, and obviously they know their clientele. However, um, it's more, I would say this brewery's maybe a year, year and a half, maybe two years max. But this, and, and I like it when beers take risks. Kind of like how we're talking about how people and churches and ministries take risks on doing things. These brewers take a risk. But this beer that I'm drinking, because I got a promotion at work, shameless plug. Blah, blah, blah. So I had to go celebrate because I got a promotion. Um, But it's this beer called Royal Rumble. Or no, excuse me, Royal Squabble. Um, And it's kind of cool because they use like... They have like uh, cartoonish kind of drawings on their cans, um, but it's called Royal Squabble. It's gin barrel blended Kolsch with Meyer lemon. It sounds as as amazing as it as I described. So Kolsch is a different is like a blend of beer, but this beer instead of being blended just in like a big silver vat. It was in a gin barrel, so barrels that had gin in it, and then they infused it with Meyer lemon, and it's fucking delicious, and yeah. it's amazing. And what's really cool, I mean, I can show you, but the listeners can't see it, but let me see. Can you see that? Yeah, I see it. But what's cool about their cans is their cans are stickers. So you can they have a thing on your can where you can peel the main label off and you can put it on anything. That's awesome. So it's freaking awesome marketing. So not only do you get me in with the delicious beer that you have, but then you also have stickers. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing is, was probably about, I think it was in February or March when things kind of started happening here in the twin cities where, um, we got all of our vaccines or the vaccine started coming out. My buddy of mine went. We went to this a brewery, and we were just talking. And then he's like a local, like he's a regular. So he's going in there. They're like, "Oh, how are you doing? How are you doing?" To my friend, and they were like, "Oh, great, great, great." And they were like, "Oh, my friend here does a podcast. Um, can you guys give him hook him up with some merch?" And they were like, "Hell yeah!" And they were like, "What's your podcast?" And I said what it was about, and I said what we talk about. They're like, "That's cool." And, and I was like, hey, I just want to promote you guys on the podcast or like on my gear and stuff. 
And so, dude, I they came back with like 10 or 12 different stickers. They gave me a free shirt. It was fantastic. So, and breweries don't need to do that, but a shout out to Falling Knife Brewery. It'd be kind of cool if they could be a sponsor, but probably not. But it's just delicious beer. Um, I know it's a little tangential, but um, they're really, they're my favorite brewery here in the Twin Cities by far. Um, just a lot of cool dudes who work there. The ambiance is is awesome. And what I think is really cool, you know who Ruth Bader Ginsburg is, right? Mm-hmm. So after she died, they created a Ruth Bader Ginsburg beer. And it was just called the RBG. And it was a dark porter, but apparently every morning for breakfast, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and this was for years and it was public knowledge, she had um, a chocolate orange biscotti every morning for breakfast with like her coffee. That's just what she had. So this Falling Knife Brewery made a chocolate orange biscotti stout beer. Oh my and I, I kid you not, it was one of the best beers I've ever tasted. And it wasn't just because I was a fan of RG, RBG, but I think it was cool that this brewery was like, hey, this person was so monumental, whether you agreed with her, you know, her political ideologies or not. But it was like they paid respect to her and they had this very, could have been a really sweet beer and they made it into this stout. So it was fantastic. But all that being said, we're talking on the happy hour podcast. So we need to talk about what we've had to drink. So I think that makes sense. Yeah. You know, like, like it's interesting. This, um, I'll share, well, I mean, I had mythos today, but a really good beer that I have had, um, a really good beer that I've had. It's a non-alcoholic option. It's called, um, Brown's ale. And it's, I think it's from the UK. And I've been having this just because yeah, I've been recovering <laughs> um, out of cold. And so um, when I have colds, I don't, you know, consume alcohol. So, uh, but a good non-alcoholic option is Brown's Ale. And it's, it's fantastic. Um, when you mentioned, I was also thinking about this beer that we had when you visited Switzerland, I know what and you're going to say. Worst beer of all time, effing hell. It was the Nicole. I knew you. This is how we know that we're best friends is because we can finish <laughs> each we can finish each other's sentences. And we need, I need to say the whole story so people can get the gist of this. So Switzerland, if you have never been to Switzerland, it's this beautiful. You know, you think of mountains, you think of chocolate, you think of what you know whatever you think of it's switzerland is there but they're known for the chocolate they're known for the the alps and all that stuff and if you've never been to switzerland please do yourself a favor and visit that country it's beautiful um but everything is connected by train there europe is connected by train and america has not gotten on the board of mass transportation they should so scotty and i were leaving one of your church meetings and for the people to listen, like I was hired by your old church that you had worked for as the theologian in residence for like two weeks. Yep. And so we, we were coming <laughs> home from this meeting and we, I think at the time we, we you lived about an hour away. Yep. And so we were jumping on the train 
And you and I were like, you know, it was like eight or nine o'clock, but back home, it was still probably like one or two in the afternoon. So I was still quite awake and whatever. And there was this, and what's cool is right in where all these, and we were in Zurich, which is, you know, the heart, that's the cap, no, that's not the capital of Switzerland, but it's probably one of the bigger cities in Switzerland. You know. Um, And so, like, all, where all these were, like, the, and I could just imagine it to a lot of the listeners in America is, it's kind of like a subway where you might have shops where, like, a subway are, but this is, like, a train station, so they had shops, as far as you can see, food and whatever, well, they had this place called uh, World of Beers, I think it was called, or something like that. Drinks of the World. Or Drinks of the Drinks World. Of the world. Yep. And so we go in there. I think we grabbed, like, I love pretzels, and they always have these pretzel sandwiches. So we grabbed these pretzel sandwiches. And then we walked in there, and, I mean, we were like, yeah, let's not get too silly. Let's not get too drunk or whatever. <laughs> um, and so we were like, let's just get a beer and maybe, like, split it, whatever. Because we'll probably drink more when we're at home. Well, we found this beer, <laughs> and it was called fucking hell. <laughs> and I think you and I and and it, but the thing is, is it was a warm beer, and I can say all beer warm is just tastes disgusting. But oh, no, we got it cold. Was we it got I, cold because? It was it was in that giant beer can shaped cooler. Okay, I don't we remember that. We got it that. cold. That was that was coming up on like eight years that we that was maybe longer. Yes. Well, actually, almost ten years. Good lord, no! Next year it'll be ten years. Jeez, Louise. Yeah. Anyway, we get in the train. We pull out of the station. We're eating these delicious pretzel sandwiches, and we bust open this fucking hell beer. <laughs> and the look on your face and my face was so priceless. And whenever I'm in a bad mood. My brain just goes to that story when we're on we're in this train in Zurich, Switzerland, and we're going back <laughs> home to to where you guys were at. And I don't even think we got out of the train station. And both you and I just get it. Literally, probably tasted like we were l- drinking liquid diarrhea. It was just the, the thing is, it was like, so yeah, it, horrible. It was this, and and the thing that that was puzzling was. It was a cold beer. It was ice cold, but it tasted like a hot beer. And I was like, "How the heck did th- did this happen?" I was like, "What? It it, it was gross." <laughs> I swear to God that whoever brewed that, like whatever brewery <laughs> brewed it, was like, "We're gonna name this beer fucking hell," and it's gonna taste like fucking hell. Because when you put those two words together, when you put the word fucking and then you put the word hell next to it, you, 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 that doesn't sound like that's a beer that's going to be a hot seller. You know what I mean? It's not like you come up with this cool, fun beer name. And when they come up with fucking hell, they're like, we're not going to make a lot of this beer, but we're going to sell it and we're going to see who buys it. And I think you and I were like, ha ha ha, like pastoral people, we're going to buy a beer called fucking hell. Blah, blah, blah. It's probably going to be really good. And I mean, dude, I kid you not. I think we ordered like waters or pops or something, or sodas, on the train because and and it was cool. Is like in every seat or like area there is, there's like little trash cans. And you and I, and the thing wasn't cheap. It was like in essence like ten bucks for this bottle of beer because it was a bigger beer. And it was definitely a shareable beer, but. I think both you and I were, we looked at each other. We're like, I can't drink this. Can you? No, I can't drink it either. And so, 
disgusting. You, oh, you were like, uh, is it bad if we just throw it away? And I'm like, dude, I'm not going to take another sip of that. That's just a hot mess. So, yeah, and I think it was funny that, that that's where it went to. Like, both of our heads went to that. <laughs> Still to this day, Scotty, that was the absolute worst beer I've ever had in my entire life. Yeah, that was the thing. Like, I mean, that place, they... They um they struggle to uh, to sell it, and you don't see it anymore. So yeah. for for obvious reasons, most likely. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I want to be respectful of your time, and for the you know we're a little over an hour, but kind of in a nutshell, if we can kind of bring it back, yeah. um, we kind of got off track a little bit of the church is a whore, but she's still my mother. So if we can kind of maybe give within five or ten minutes, why should someone not give up on church? Regardless if they're a Christian, a skeptic, a doubter, maybe even atheistic. And I want to say to my friends out there or or listeners, if they're atheistic, I know a lot of people who are atheistic maybe say that they're atheists, maybe say they're agnostic, who are actually still going to church. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people in the UCC that I know are, Mm -hmm. and people don't realize how progressive that denomination is. I have actually tons of colleagues and, uh, or members of, because we're still technically members at a UCC church who say, yeah, we don't believe in this whole God or Jesus thing, but there's something about community. And that's why we come to this church. What would you say with the whole thing of whether someone's a Christian, an atheist, an agnostic, a skeptic, a doubter, anything in between, why would you say the church is a whore, but she's still my mother? And why would you say that a person should still not give up on church, but continue church in whatever way that is to them? I would say the basic thing is because we don't give up on other forms of community. Church isn't the only form of community that hurts us. You know, so like today, my wife and I were talking about my high school reunion, which is, you know, 20 years, man, um, which will be, you know, this summer. And I got postponed school next year. Yeah. 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 I mean, mean, it might be. yeah, Yeah. I mean, as far as I know, ours will still be going, but. Like, you know, I was bullied in high school, mm. you know, and bu- bullied through, from, through elementary school to high school. And, you know, and, and then there were, you know, some bad experiences in university. Um, and these are communities in a way. But mm. just because I've been hurt by those communities doesn't mean that I give up on education itself and the, the concept of school. Um, you can be hurt. In a, a hospital, which is which is a community, a medical community, you know, but it, it, and it happens all the time. You can be misdiagnosed and and all these things. Um, you can have a doctor who who's an absolute jerk, um, but that doesn't mean that you know you've given up. That you give up on the medicine and give up on hospitals, you know, because I think you have to put also the things that turn. Again, you know, with the saying, you have to put the church into perspective like any other community you'd put into perspective. And that is 
It involves human beings and no community, even the most spiritual or even the most ethical, because the same thing happens in nonprofits, you know, or, or, or charities. No community, no matter how spiritual it is, no matter how ethical and moral it, it, it is or appears, is above human fallibility and frailty. When people get their hands on things, they will mess it up. And, you know, and it happens and it happens in churches. And and so I would say, you know, don't give up on church, you know, because I would say we shouldn't give up on church because we don't give up on other communities where we're hurt. And we're hurt just as bad in, 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 in these other communities. So I would encourage people instead to be realistic about the church. You know, I was on the phone with, um, because there's a church that's having a problem and, um, and I was contacted by members of this, of, of this congregation. And the biggest struggle I had in the exchange I was having with these members as they're processing the issues going on is that they kept saying, but the church is a spiritual community. It's a spirit. It's spiritual. It's spiritual. And I'm like, yes, but it's also within this world full of people who, 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 who are in this world, who are broken, who are frail and who are aiming for something higher than where they are. And I'm like, and I had such a hard time, you know, convincing these people of the true nature of the church, getting them to accept it. And I think this is also for many of the people that leave, I find this is what they have in common with the people that stay. They actually struggle to accept the true nature of the church. And they'll say, well, I left because this community promised love and it promised, you know, acceptance. And it says this and this and this and this and this. And you're like, yes, but it's it's like every other community. It's imperfect. And they struggle to accept that, yes, it, it, you know, it's a mother. It's mothering, but it also has whorish ways. And so what I say to people again is, is, you know, don't give up on the church because you don't give up on other communities, other human communities where you're hurt just as badly. And, you know, and also be honest about the church, accept this reality, you know, Jesus told you it was going to be this way. So, you know, and and Jesus says it's going to be this way, but I still love it. I still use it. I still work through it. Jesus, Jesus still says it's his bride. It's, it belongs to him. So it's like, if Jesus has told you it's going to be this way and he still uses it and still accepts it and hasn't given up on it then I can say in full confidence that you can still not give up on it. And so, yeah, I hope this all makes sense. (laughs) No, I think it does. Um, And I think that's a good spot to end this first episode. We're a little little over, but I think what people are going to get when this comes out, and like I said, it's going to be on the Sacred Collective feed for now, but we're 
diligently working. Maybe we should do it more. But uh, to find a producer that does it to to see how often we're going to do this, whether it's once a week or twice a month or once a month. Um, but just having conversations, and obviously it's not always going to be about church. It could be about maybe a political thing. It could be something within the church. But this, I think this was a conversation that we wanted to have because I know you and I differ theologically on a lot of things. And I know that we differ on maybe how we view church and, and things like that. And that's what makes, and it's so funny when I describe to coworkers or other friends, our friendship, they're like, it just sounds like you guys wouldn't be really like close or good friends. And I was like, why? <laughs> because I was like, Scotty looks beyond my faith and sees me as me and vice versa. I see you and beyond. Right. You know, and it's like, I don't just see you as Scotty. I don't just see you as a pastor or what you do to make money or for a job or what you're passionate about. I see you as a human being. And I think that right there is why we're such good friends is you wouldn't care if I was an atheist or vice versa. If you were an atheist and I was a Christian, we just have that love and respect and, um, just, just, um, appreciating each other. But I think what we're going to do with a happy hour podcast is we're wanting to just have honest conversations and maybe, maybe we can interview people. I think for the, at least the first number of episodes, it's just going to be kind of you and me just talking about, things that we're passionate about things yep. that we're um that we think it's important to talk about because i think a lot of like you and i have been hurt by the church we have been hurt by individuals in the church we maybe have even been hurt by pastors but so often when people get hurt by this they just run away they are like okay, why would Jesus let me go through this? Why would God let me go through this? Blah, 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 blah. And that's a valid question. But you and I look at it and we're like, God didn't let us go through this. Or God's with us in this hurt. God is with us in this suffering. God is with us in our hurt. It wasn't God who made us go through this. It was these individuals leading these churches or leading these ministries that did this. God is just as mad and just as angry as we are. Yeah. And can I add something to that? You sure. know, my goal isn't in these things. My goal in this conversation isn't to get people back in, in, in some church. Right. Right. Because I see there's so much hurt. My goal is to help people to find healing because mm-hmm. I've, you know, like I, I walked away from, from Christianity, you right, know, and I right. had, and, and and I, I carry that anger that I see so many people have, and that anger, it festers and it grows, and and it can destroy you. It, it really messes up your life. It feels good in the beginning, but, you know, um, St. Augustine said it this way, too. He said, unforgiveness, I believe it was him, another Augustine quote, he said, unforgiveness is drinking the poison and hoping the other person dies. Mm. You know, and that anger leads you to that. And and my goal is as a pastor is I want to help people just to find healing from religious hurt and especially church hurt. And if they remain an atheist after getting that healing, 
you know, so be it. If they go to another religion, you know, in the process, so be it. I'd like for them to, you know, come back to church and be Christians, but, but first and foremost, I want people to find healing, you know, healing and, and, and rest and a sympathetic voice. And, and so as much as I advocate for the church and say, don't give up on it, the first thing in my heart is, like I said, that I want people to heal because I know how that anger can hold you back. I know how it can, it can destroy you. Um, and I want people to get to the other side of that and find happiness again, find wholeness again, and find trust. Because the thing that I found is when I walked away from the community of the church, that anger kept me from just community in general. It kept me from really, you know, I, I met like-minded people, but they would say to me, but they would say about me when I, um, among themselves, they'd say, you know, yeah, we agree with this guy that, that, that church is a hurtful place, but he's an a-hole, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, because I was letting that anger drive me and it cut me off from all other kinds of community. And so I want people to heal so that they can get back to life again, get back to fellowshipping with people in other, you know, capacities again. So, yeah. That's fantastic. That's my sh- well, and I think that could be probably where we end for this one because we're already almost an hour and 20 in. Um, like I said, we're, we could talk for way more over than an hour. Mm-hmm. I think maybe the second episode that we do, which should be let listeners know that we're going to do our own podcast stream. It's not always going to be on Sacred Collective. Uh, we'll just need to do the logistics because podcasts yeah. are hard to do. Like our producer right now for Sacred Collective and Revolution is all the way in Seattle. But it's going to be different when I'm in St. Paul, Minnesota. You're in, you know, Switzerland, St. Gallen, Switzerland. Um, So it's going to be a little bit more difficult to just moving and shaking in all these parts. But I do think uh, a very important conversation to have, maybe for the second one, if you're okay to do this, is maybe telling our listeners, so maybe this is a teaser would and how you were raised a Christian and you walked away from the faith, you actually joined another faith, faith, and why you came back. Yeah, definitely. And I think that would be really interesting because so often I feel like you hear people who leave Christianity never come back and are like, oh, you know, fuck it. Like, I left Christianity and it sucked. But you're an individual who left Christianity willingly, joined another religion, and then somewhere in your thought process, your faith process, whatever caused you to come back to Christianity and not just come back to Christianity, but become a minister in that, in that, um, religion. So I think that would be a really interesting, um, interesting uh, discussion to talk about. Definitely. Man. Yeah. Uh, before we go and I do this on all the podcasts, um, is this is your time for do shameless plugs. Is there any, um, any websites, anything you want listeners to, if they want to find out more of who you are as Scotty or the things that you do, maybe we, you can, we can put them in our show notes, but for people that are listening, what are some, um, if you want to, if you're comfortable, where they can find you? Um, I have actually have a website, um, personal website, and it's Scotty, 
S-C-O-T-T-Y-Williams.com. Okay. Scotty-Williams.com. And that's my personal website. So if you want to know more about me, go there. <laughs> yeah, and just the things that you're up to and what you're doing. Yeah. I do want to say this, if this is okay. Cat's out of the bag, I think. If not, Caleb can edit this out. Um, but you're producing a children's book. Yes. Um, yeah. If I can leave that in, that's really cool news. So you're going to be a published author, a kids, a mm-hmm. kids book, which you did let me kind of read the, um, uh, what would you call it? Rough, rough copy before it came out to the masses, and it's a very um, intriguing, adventurous, and very meaningful book. I will say that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping, you know, it looks like we might be, it might be released on July 4th. Mm. So, yeah. Um, I will yeah. buy a copy. Wonderful. Yay. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be, a, it'll be, yeah, there's a limited number of copies on the first round. But, um, but yeah, but I'll save you one. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Scotty, as always, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for um, dealing with my audio visual um, technological deficiencies. But we got it done. We're good. Yeah. Um, I'm thankful that you and I want to do this podcast because I think we're going to have some meaningful conversations. We've talked about kind of doing this stuff for years, it seems, and now we're finally going to get this ball rolling and get some traction on this. So. Yes. Let's do it. Um, have a good evening. And sure. to everyone listening, thank you. If you like our content, um, please keep listening. We're going to be coming out with more stuff later this summer and fall. Mm-hmm. All right. Everyone, have a good have a good one. And tune in ciao, next ciao. time. All right. Bye, Scotty. Bye. Thanks for being part of our conversation. To continue the conversation, find us on social media at SacredMN.